Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining. My name is Eric Velasquez. I'm the host of Alamo City Agenda, and it's Blue Monday, I guess, right? Obviously. Yes. <laughs> Blue Monday. Um, when we're here with candidate Trista Berry for Bear County Court Judge. Mm, How Bear are you County doing judge. today? I'm good, thank you. Oh, Bear County. Why did I say That's court? That's okay. I'm There's sorry. a lot of confusion between the judge and commissioner's yes. court and the yes. county courts and the district court. So let me let me make that clear. Yes, yeah, it's, which, a, it's a county judge for a commissioner's court. Yeah, which is not a court. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's not a court. <laughs> and you don't have to have a law degree. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. Do you have a gavel? Yeah, but you have a gavel. Okay. Yes, you do. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Would you ever want to? I like, would love to be able to do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I had one with my children. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you are out of, order. out of order. You are out of order. Yes. <laughs> so tell me about um, your campaign or tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, born and raised here in San Antonio, okay. native San Antonian. Uh, probably the weirdest looks I get was when I talk about the fact that born and raised here in my Dad was in the Air Force, which is how we got to San Antonio, the youngest of six children. I was the only one of the six that did not travel across the world, basically. <laughs> Grew up in one place, so I've been here since elementary school. Went to high school, went to two different colleges, went to UGSA for two years when it was in its infancy. Go Roadrunners! <laughs> Woohoo! Here we go! Yes, I love my Roadrunners. Um, and then I was going to go to UT. Uh, but then Trinity University offered me a partial mm. scholarship, so I wound mm. up there I'm majoring in communications um, and minoring in political science, which is what I really wanted to do. And at that point, my parents were kind of like, look, if there's an opportunity for you to go to a school that's really known for its communications program um, and you've got a scholarship opportunity, that's where you need to go. Mm. So stayed there. Uh, my senior year at Trinity, I wound up getting an internship at Ken's TV. Okay. Uh, so I went to school, I worked part-time, and I had an internship. Um, so I was no stranger to hard work, for sure. Um, plus, I had, a, you know, I had a partial student loan, too, so I had to get that paid off as well. Um, so um, I got my foot in the door at Ken's TV, not just reporting, but producing news. And I really okay. liked producing uh, behind the scenes because it was multitasking, and you're in charge of everything, and there's nothing more awesome than a great show watch but out live, solo watch out yeah but take live, job. But live, well we have conversations about that but live television can go to heck in a handbasket very quickly as solo knows too so you know you can have great shows and then you're you're brought back down to earth because you can have really bad shows yeah, um yeah but produce telethons uh produce the five six and ten o'clock newscasts um did some political reporting uh, reported at city hall or whatever and then I uh, left that business 10 years later and went to found my own PR company with two other partners. And we had as many as 85 people mm. in a full-service advertising agency, um, which was a great run. Uh, then we had a partner that healthcare was really her wheelhouse, and mm. she wanted to go into healthcare, and it caused my partner Frank Guerra and I, who had worked in television together, to kind of re-examine where we wanted to be. Um, and I wanted to do a lot of crisis communications, social, digital, because it was the rise of social digital, which mm -hmm. was a fascinating time to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, you know, in public relations, which obviously I'm very skilled at because um, I've done that for 25 years. Right. But went on and found a second business, which was the DeBerry Group, which has now morphed into talk strategy. So, you know, I've been a small business owner for a majority of my life for 25 years, an entrepreneur, employed people, which 
you know, at the end of the day, Eric, that's really why I decided I was going to run for the office of county commissioner when I did, because I thought the court needed pragmatic business know-how and what that looks like. Because a lot of times we, you know, get into a rut regarding politics and it's professional politicians that have been there forever. So I, you know, obviously I had not held office before and, um, it's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to come in and on the court and I was like, we're not going to rubber stamp everything anymore because as a business owner, that's not what I do either. Mm-hmm. I ask tough questions. I hold people accountable. You know, we've got to look at spending practices and overhead and what we're dealing with. And so I think it was really important. So with that, you know, considering the business standpoint, how can people trust that you will have the best intentions for the people, not just the business owners? Because we've seen a lot of the, a lot of money being sent over to businesses for whatever reason, and how can we get that to ensure that, that you will actually still look out for like the, the, the little people, so to say, like the, the actual community rather than just the business owners? Yeah, well, I'm proud to be a small business owner because obviously 85% of the economy, not just in San Antonio, but across the United States is built on the backs of small business owners. So we can't forget that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I took to heart. Uh, when I got into office, it wasn't just about big business. It was what are we doing to help out small business owners, whether they were the grants that we uh, doled out during the pandemic. Um, you know, I mean, small businesses were the hardest hit during yeah, the pandemic. Yeah. And I think if you ask Judge Wolf what was one of the biggest mistakes he made during the pandemic, it was shutting down small businesses. Um, because they are the lifeblood of the economy. Um, and I truly believe that having somebody in office that has that kind of skill set that will not only advocate for small businesses, but know what it's like. Because, I mean, Eric, I go, you know, go to bed every night. I mean, since I've opened up a business, you go to bed and lay your head on the pillow and you're like, I'm responsible for these people. Right, um, right. I'm putting food on the table for them and their kids and their families. Um, it's a tough road to hoe. Mm-hmm. And then I have some people who are like, Oh, it must be great because you're you've got your own small business. You don't answer to anybody. I was like, I answer to people <laughs> right. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I answer to employees. I answer to clients. Um, it's just it's a it's a um, very fulfilling opportunity to be able to own a small business and employ people um, and create something that you have a vision for and that you know you really want to be a part of and that people want to work for you mm-hmm. because that's the other thing is. You know, being a small business owner, I think you're always shocked and surprised sometimes because you're like, well, people really want to come to work for me because right. of the good work that we're doing. Uh, the because, culture, culture. Yeah, the culture that we've established, which I think is important. And, you know, look, I did a lot of pro bono work in the community as a small business owner, probably a lot more than I could have afforded. Um, when I look at, you know, what we were able to do for not just the American Sunrise Organization, but for David's legacy um, and cyberbullying. I mean, we probably put close to a quarter of a million dollars of pro bono work into anti-cyberbullying legislation and what that meant and continue to advocate for that because the Molochs are a very good friend of mine, Mm -hmm. uh, friends of mine both. And in fact, today, I'm going to be accepting a grant from the Texas Cavaliers on behalf of David's legacy. So those are the things I'm probably... I love the work I do from a client perspective, but probably what fulfills my heart, yeah, the most, mm-hmm. is what I do for the nonprofit community. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Now, backtrack a little bit. You were talking about, um, 
you were talking about being able to go oh, uh, mentorship or uh, what was it? Not mentorship, but um, I forgot the word. <laughs> Culture? No, it was uh, advocacy, outreach, community, no, nonprofit. Um, geez, I am I'm having a brain <laughs> fart. Uh, you were saying. I cannot think of the word right now. Okay. I guess we'll just come back to it. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's fine. Uh, yeah. Man. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, about the budgets. So mm-hmm. what are some things that you would like to see going forward if you do get elected? What's the first thing you need to tackle with the budgets? So, I mean, it's, you know, billions of dollars as far as that budget is concerned. So one of my, you know, major um, tenets associated with what the budget looks like because the largest line item of the budget is is university health system mm-hmm. regarding what mm-hmm. we're doing you know from a health standpoint a public health standpoint so you know when i was in office as a county commissioner i advocated for a merger uh, between metro health over the city mm-hmm. and university health system because if you look at metro health probably funded at a rate of 40 million dollars and have been over the past several years about that much but about half of that is grant funding right so really only 20 million comes out of the budget so they're reliant upon a lot of federal grants and funding associated with that but they stumbled a little bit obviously coming out of the gate during the pandemic you know four to six changes in leadership associated Mm -hmm. with that i think they have a a very good guy in place right now but i still think there are huge opportunities associating with merging Metro Health with UHS because when you look at the resources associated with UHS, mm-hmm. $2.8 billion budget, um, their association with the UTL Science Center. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying necessarily that the city would have to give up decision-making powers. I'm like, look, give the city a couple of seats on the board of University Health System so they're weighing into the decision-making process. However, we can scale impact so far in this community, which I think what we all saw during the pandemic right, was right. the issues that we have here from a public health standpoint were underscored by COVID, whether it was morbid obesity, whether it was heart disease, whether it was diabetes. And quite honestly, when you talk to vascular surgeons, we are still, you know, quite honestly, cutting off people's ankles, you know, and feet or whatever at far too high a rate. It's um, a sad statistic associated Mm. with that. But so the opportunity to really scale impact associated with public health with a merger of some sort, I think is a phenomenal idea. Now, is that easy? No. (laughs) But, you know, I've been known to take on difficult issues and this is one of them, but I think it's a win-win, not just for the city, but for the county and the entire community of Bear County regarding public health, because I just don't think we have moved the needle in the way that we need to regarding the diseases that I've talked about, not to mention the fact we have a food desert issue. Yeah. We have a poverty rate here in Bear County that is probably still similar to what it was during the 1980s. So there are things that we need to be doing differently. Um, so not only can we scale impact regarding public health, it's a great opportunity for city county consolidation, which people have talked about forever, like about not, you know, talking the talk, but I've got a real example here. So I'm not just going to talk the talk. I'm going to walk the walk. If we can get this done, this makes government much more efficient. We avoid duplication of services. We scale impact. It's what people want government to do. It's not about bloating and fat government. It's mm. about how do we scale it down 
And how do we really scale the impact and do important change in this community, which needs to happen? So you think by merging those two, that would that would make a little bit less government added on to well, that? Well, absolutely, it's less government. Um, but it's also the first domino that falls regarding city-county consolidation. What else do we look at? We have two magistration offices, the city and the county, mm. which, by the way, is a complete waste of taxpayer money. <laughs> we got to figure this out. And some of it is like, check your egos at the door mm. so that we can figure this out. County has one. They didn't consult with the city. City got mad about it. So they still use the city. But it's ridiculous that we have two magistration offices. We need to figure this out. We need to come together. So, yes, I would tell you that a merger between Metro Health and UHS as well as the magistration offices make complete economic sense, not only for the Bear County taxpayer, mm-hmm. but for government in general. Gotcha. Okay. Um, twist, we're going to take a different turn. What's your favorite Fiesta event? My favorite? Oh, my gosh. I love all kinds of Fiesta <laughs> events. And look, um, one of my proudest moments, actually, as a um, young person, um, because um, I'm not going to say how old I am right now. <laughs> but... Um, I was crowned Miss Fiesta in 1984 when I was 19 years old. Okay. So I have a deep and abiding love uh, for Fiesta because I visited all the events. I got to go to Minneapolis and St. Paul to that festival that they have there. Um, yeah, during the winter time or whatever. So um, I got to know a lot of people associated with that experience. And I just look back on it with such fond memories. I mean, it really helped mold me into the person I am today because I felt like Miss Fiesta um, is what I would call the people's queen. I mean, it's, (laughs) you know, you're not anointed. It doesn't matter how much money you have to be able to get there. Um, It's a competition and believe it or not. So uh, the competition was you had to portray a woman in Texas history. Okay. So guess who I portrayed? I don't know if there's a little serendipity at play here. Um, So I portrayed Miriam Ma Ferguson. She was the first female governor of Texas. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, my skit that you had to do was really her kind of like looking in the mirror and her inauguration speech about what she wanted to accomplish. Mm. And I wrapped it up with, imagínate una mujer, like imagine a woman, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think that's part and parcel about like, I'm one of the first females in 25 years on commissioner's court. Uh, it's been a long time since we've had a female as county judge. And so... I like to say that sometimes, you know, um, the gods are at work and at play and we never know what that looks like or whatever. But I feel like when I was 19, I was portraying a woman in Texas history. And, you know, 35 years later, I'm still here today doing the same thing. That's awesome. I'm not portraying a woman in Texas history. <laughs> I am the woman in Texas history. So as a woman um, in leadership, how do you see how do you look forward to empowering women? in in this in this workforce in this in this field yeah it's one of my most passionate topics i mean it really it hits very close to home for me because i was um raised by a single mother um who had six kids my parents divorced my mother worked in civil service at fort sam houston she was head of military pay and she worked really really hard and you know part of my story is i think it's easy to see Trish DeBerry as somebody who was born with a silver spoon in her mouth because Mm. of the success that I've been able to achieve in life. But nothing could be further from the truth. Um, We struggled to make ends meet. Uh, We had six children in a household that shared one bathroom, uh, which was super interesting at times (laughs) because I had two brothers and four sisters. And, um, 
you know, um, I give a lot of credit to my mom for what she was able to do because she did. She worked full time as a single mom. Um, and so for that reason, um, I'm really very, very passionate about, you know, women's issues. It's completely the reason why I took on the domestic violence issue when I was on commissioner's court. Um, I appropriated a record amount of money regarding making sure we're not just moving the backlog of cases mm -hmm. regarding domestic violence, but the DA needed more prosecutors, needed more investigators. We needed more help in the district courts um, regarding advocates for victims. Mm -hmm. um, very One of the first places I toured when I got into office was the battered women's and children's mm -hmm. shelter to see what was going on there. And it's, um, I have called it a public health crisis, domestic violence here in Bear County, which it is. Um, and unless we continue to move the needle regarding protecting women, and not just women, but children too, um, we're not gonna get in this economy or in this county or in this city where we need to be, so. It seems like it got worse during COVID. Yeah, it did get worse during yeah. COVID. Yeah, because people had nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, which is why there was a backlog of cases. And um, I saw, you know, I led the effort for resolution to make sure that all judges, not just the specialty courts regarding domestic violence, we're hearing the cases to be able to move the backlog associated with it. So, you know, one of my proudest moments on the court was not just the resolution to make sure we were clearing that backlog, but the money that was appropriated regarding more prosecutors and more investigators and what we were doing. And actually, I wanted to appropriate more money um, associated with it, but it is something that we have to continue to advocate for um, because we, and the other thing is, I led the effort to make sure that we had more constables over in the constable's offices because we had a backlog of temporary protective orders. We had a backlog of temporary restraining orders that were not being served. They were piled high in baskets. Um, sheriff did not have the resources to be able to do that. And so constables can serve those orders. Um, so we appropriated money and I led the effort for that to make sure that we had more constables to be able to do that. Also sat down and established a process for the constables to be able to do that and have the wherewithal to be able to get done what they needed to get done. But one of my single proudest moments when I was on the campaign <laughs> trail was when I was at a polling site and I had a gentleman come up to me and he worked with Child Protective Services. Mm. And he said, hey, you're the commissioner that got money from more constables so we could serve more temporary restraining orders and protective orders, right? And I said, I said yes, sir. And I was like, very nice <laughs> to meet you. And he said, let me tell you, we are so much more effective. The serve rate is the highest it's ever been regarding mm. making sure that we're protecting women. And he shook my hand and he said, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but I'm voting for you <laughs> because of what you've done for women and children That's here. That's awesome. That's what you should do as a public official. Right. Yeah. It's not about the party lines. It's no, about it's what, not. What, what's um, good for the, the yeah, public. Yeah, exactly. And I was very successful in what I did regarding the resolution and appropriating money about reaching across party lines. I was the only Republican on the court, but I got support for a lot of things because it was in the best interest. It's not necessarily about viewing through a political filter. <laughs> it is about what is the right thing to do. Right. Um, and we have lost our way in politics regarding what Ooh. is the right thing to do. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. Give me, I, give me on my soapbox. It's true. It's true, though. Okay, so how uh, okay so if you are elected county judge yes how are you going to um make the the relationship between you and the bear county sheriff better 
um because it seems like it's a little bit rocky there's been a little bit of issues and stuff like that so what, what what's your plan to maybe make things a little bit gel a little bit easier well, like just because we have differences in opinion on what needs to happen and you know because when i came in office it was not going to be a rubber stamp court mm-hmm. anymore i was not going to rubber stamp things and when they come in we're not we're going to take a close look at it so i will continue to ask tough questions but look we can all agree to disagree mm-hmm. and get along in mm-hmm. the end i mean that's the nature of politics right no right. permanent friends no permanent enemies and so yes when i'm bear county judge whoever i have to work with we're going to build a bridge and we're going to get it done but i am going to still talk about the culture in the jail what mm. are we doing about that because mm. um, there are morale issues there are culture issues there we have retention are. issues yeah. we have recruitment issues and i'm not going to let down on that but um i'm incredibly proud to have the endorsement of the deputy sheriff's association because at the end of the day it wasn't necessarily about criticism of the deputy sheriff it was really about advocating for the rank and file with the Deputy Sheriff's Association regarding those that are working double and triple mandatory overtime shifts in the jail Mm -hmm. and never seeing their families, which Mm -hmm. they don't want to work there if that's the case, and (laughs) they leave, right? right? right. It's about who's out on patrol in the outer areas of the county and in the Alamo Ranch area when you have one or two people patrolling, that's not right either. But I feel like there again as a small business person, I've got great ideas and the, the opportunity regarding a consultant, which is what I advocated for in the court, a consultant coming in to give ideas okay. yeah, regarding what we can do at the jail. Um, but well, how are we benchmarking against other counties that are doing things really either innovative or outside the box? Um, but despite what happened, obviously, yeah, with the deputy sheriff, I have amazing relationships with um, other folks that work within the county, whether it's, you know, whether it's the county courts. I count a lot of the judges as my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, the DA and I had a great working relationship, too. Um, he felt like he could come to me anytime um, to ask. And one of my, you know, the other issues that I got accomplished with um, the DA is I had been at a elder abuse senior citizen committee meeting. Um, and I was told that, well, look, we've got SAPDs there. We can arrest people for elder fraud and abuse. But if we don't have people in the DA's office to be able to prosecute the cases, like, nothing's going to happen right so i did call the da down and i said hey um as well as members of this committee and i said look this is what i'm hearing um and he said well we used to have an elder fraud unit at the da's office but we haven't had it for five years because we haven't had the money to be able to do it and i said we'll let you know as county commissioner and having parents who are seniors my mom just passed away a year ago my dad is 95 Mm. will be 96 gets a phone call every week if not every other day from someone who wants to take advantage of him yeah and i told the da i said look i'll approach i'll help to appropriate the money because i think it's that important because we have an aging population Mm -hmm. and the elderly don't have the time to either get restitution restored or prosecute the people that are trying to take advantage of them so At the end of the day, I did collectively get Commissioner's Court to come together to restore the elder fraud unit at the DA's office, um, which had been vacant for five years. And so, and not only did he get a prosecutor, he asked for an investigator because a lot of times when it comes to elder abuse, it's a paper trail because yeah. it's fraud, bank fraud, what have you. And so he needed the resources and it's kind of tedious work, uh, but he has right. a great guy in that office 
to be able to do that. But um, when I look at the things that I was able to accomplish in a year as a county commissioner, that elder fraud unit, domestic violence, and those things that I advocated for are uber important to this community. Mm-hmm. So, and so with that, because uh, I know there was there's a lot of important things with small businesses. Yeah. During COVID, when everything was happening. A lot of the south side was neglected. Mm -hmm. The south side, the east side, the west side. So did that does that bring up anything to you that maybe we need to focus a little bit more on those those sides? Because one, that's where a lot of the food deserts are at. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of poverty in there. So what would you like to see happen being a county judge to be able to help those communities? Well, we absolutely have to focus on those communities because when we look at the food deserts that exist, um, there are not choices or healthy choices that are being made. Um, And when I talked about the poverty level associated with it being close to the same as it was in the 1980s, we've got to be doing things differently. Mm -hmm. And it's a relationship between the city and the county. It's not just about the county, but the city needs to step up too and how we do that. And I think it's not just, it's about a skilled workforce for sure and what we have to do in that vein. But it's also about trade schools, and it's about kids that look at being master plumbers, master electricians, master welders, and what does that look like? Because um, there are some people that think that there's shame associated with that. Last time I paid, we talked about that. (laughs) An electrician or a plumber to come into my house, they're making really good money. Plus, if there are apprenticeships that we're able to really advocate for and sustain, it helps those that start as apprentices even own their own business when it, when it comes to like their own plumbing company, their own, you know, electrician company or what have you. So I think we've got to do more associated with that too. And I think I've been a big supporter of the Alamo community college district mm-hmm. and what are the community colleges doing because college has become very unaffordable for a lot of families. And what are we doing there? So scholarship opportunities and what are we doing Um, to make sure that even as a county that we're not just relying upon the Alamo Community College District for those scholarships, but are we appropriating money wisely in the right places regarding trade programs, regarding scholarship opportunities for kids that live on the southwest and the east sides of town. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there are places of poverty on the north side too. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's all over. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like a Project Quest, right? Project Quest. Right. They do a lot of trade schools and even I think in computer. Computers. Right, but it's a, you know, I'm a firm believer that it's not about a hand out. It's right. about a hand up. Yeah, yeah. You know, and how do we propel people into self-sustainability so mm-hmm. that they feel proud of what they've accomplished and that they continue to succeed and move up the ladder? Mm-hmm. Um, because even as a female, what I've done all my life as a business owner, it's not about just climbing the ladder, right? It's about your hand down mm-hmm. to help out this person who's coming up to help her come up here, um, you know, as far as, you know, women are concerned. And we talked a little bit about that earlier. I'm a big proponent of failing forward. Um, we learned a lot of lessons. I ran for office, you know, one time in 2009 <laughs> for mayor um, right. and failed. And I just, you know, tell my kids that every day. I have, you know, I have a 17-year-old daughter who's a junior in high school. And I have a soon-to-be 20-year-old who's a sophomore at UT who are the loves of my life um, that I would lay down and die for <laughs> any day as much as sometimes they frustrate you <laughs> right. their children. It's like I told you, you never stop being a parent ever. Um, yeah. it, but you know that when you have children, but they're um, my greatest joy. Um, but I tell my daughter every day, don't be afraid to try. 
Yeah. Because you don't want to look back on life with regret and say, shoulda, coulda, woulda. And that's the message that I, you know, give to young females, you know, across the county all the time when I have the opportunity. Don't be afraid to try. Is that is that why you ran for county judges? Because you... You you fought a lot really hard to get I did, to commissioner, I right? Did. And it was like, oh, county judge, you're like, all right. Is that is that what yeah, was your? Yeah, I think there were there were a couple of things, Eric. Um, you know, I think I was a, a strong voice on the court. Um, was called a force um, on the court. I think I made county government a lot more relevant. You know, um, one of the things I tried to do, you know, is really after every commissioner's court meeting, I taped a 45 second video um, that we pushed out on social and digital um, re related to, this is what we did on commissioner's court, one, two, three. This is how it impacted you. Because people need to pay attention to county government. I don't think they were paying attention to it before. Mm -hmm. So we try to like lift the veil, make things a lot more transparent regarding the issues that we were covering and how it impacts you. Because, I mean, I will tell you, when I block walked even running for county commissioner, I had so many people who were like, we love what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, we love the fact that you know, property taxes and appraisal reform are big issues for you. But we have no idea what does a county commissioner <laughs> yeah. do? Like, right. I got yeah. no idea. So part and parcel of my effort in that first year, and even if I had stayed as a county commissioner, was to educate people on the importance of county government because there was a lot of money that flows through there. Mm -hmm. So city council kind of has a you know, tendency to suck all the oxygen out of the room mm -hmm. and gets all the attention. But there's a lot of really great things that are happening Yeah, at the county level, but there's also some things that are happening that need transparency and for people to pay attention to it, to do that, but we weren't able to. But I will tell you that during the ARPA process, we made sure those work sessions were public okay. so that people could watch online and do what they needed to do. And of course, the commissioner's court meetings are all online too. So, you know, the opportunity as COVID wanes, yeah, the next budget cycle to be able to get out there and really show people and tell people what's happening. And I'm glad to lead the charge on that because I was the only county commissioner, like I said, really trying to educate people on the process associated with what's going on in county government. Um, and you know, we have a little bit of a hardship because we're a subsidiary of the state. Mm -hmm. So it's a little antiquated when we look at ethics reform, when we look at campaign contribution limits, when we look at term limits and those sorts of things or whatever. Um, there are some things that are very hard to get done because mm -hmm. Because as a subsidiary of the state, we're going to have to get consensus in the entire legislature to be able to get a lot of things done. So if we want true ethics reform, it's going to have to be personal. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to have to say, look, I mean, for instance, for me, as county judge, I'll serve two terms, you know, and I'm out because I don't believe in career politicians. I mean, it's okay. why I ran for office in the first place. If we want campaign contribution limits, we're going to have to say, hey, I'm only going to take this amount moving forward, and what does that look like? So, because um, you you were one of the, um, I, don't, I don't remember if Commissioner Rodriguez did or not, but you you denied your bonus or your what was it? There was the a pay raise. Pay raise, right? Yeah, there was a pay raise. And so, kind of talk about that, like I just didn't think that it was appropriate. I mean, we are we lived through um, a huge downturn in the economy. Small businesses suffered. Um, I as a small business owner suffered as well and felt that pain um i don't think it's appropriate for politicians when everybody else is feeling pain to get um a pay raise and so um i you know said i was not going to agree to that pay raise and i did not um and i will continue to i mean i think from a county commissioner standpoint we uh, make a pretty healthy salary 
um, and especially during a time when people are suffering, the last thing somebody who's in elected office needs to be doing is taking a pay raise. Where does that go? So if you don't accept it, where does it go? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, don't think it, I guess it goes back into the budget, which is great because it yeah. can be used for other things or whatever. But I just was... it. Is, well, look, it was Eric. It wasn't just the optics associated with it. Well, I go back to what is the right thing to do. Right. That was not the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think I posted about it. I was like, you know, what's going on? Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So, but that- I did advocate. I wanted to make sure that deputy sheriffs there again because they were still in their collective bargaining agreement process. Um, and I did have a conversation with the county judge, and I said, hey, we got to get this collective bargaining agreement done. It's been out there for two years. You know, there's um, their limited resources. They're stretched thin um, the deputy sheriff's department right now, and they haven't gotten COLA increases, which is COLA, for those of you that don't know, is cost of living allowance increases for two years, whereas everybody else has. Mm. These are folks, men and women, that are laying their lives on the line every single day and did not have an increase. And so within the collective bargaining contract, I made sure that we included that within the contract because it's there again, it's only right that especially first responders are getting those kinds of increases. Mm-hmm. Elected officials don't need it. They need it for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And, and let's talk about with that. And I know it just recently passed, but the the property tax, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we, it was a $5,000 um, homestead exemption, homestead exemption, but it equals out to what, $15 a year, I think. Yeah. Um, Look, every little bit helps. Um, When I was on commissioner's court, um, one of the things I advocated for was a property tax rate decrease, which we had not had on the county in some time. Granted, that only amounted to a small amount. But I was also advocating at the same time, while I was a county commissioner, for the homestead exemption, up to 5,000, which didn't exist. So yes, that's $25. Yes, it's for a total of, you know, a net impact of $30. However, we build upon that incrementally, and at least it's going in the right direction. It's not going up, it's going down. But true appraisal reform begins in the legislature. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. I have some opponents that served in the legislature for some time, had plenty of time to be able to advocate for property tax relief, call for a special session regarding property tax relief. It didn't happen, but that is what it's going to take to be able to really move the needle when it comes to property tax relief. As a Republican, hopefully as Bear County judge, we have a Republican-controlled legislature. Hopefully I have the wherewithal to go to the governor and say, hey, people are begging for it. And I think the governor's realized it now because that's a big issue for him as well, that we've got to figure this out because it's not enough. I'll tell you, as an elected official, to say, hey, I got a property tax decrease when appraisals are going through the roof because you... And I and you and Salo are all getting property tax yeah. Yeah, notices and the appraisals are going up 20 to 28 percent. Right. Yeah. Because the housing shortage that we have here, the low inventory and the fact that we have people from all over the United States that are throwing cash offers down on houses. Yeah. Um, it's a combination of things. But I'm very glad, you know, that I serve in the Bear Appraisal District Um and I'll be on there for two years. I did not have to resign that seat, okay. um, much like I did for county commissioners. So I'm gonna, going to continue to advocate, you know, at the local level for what can be done. But true appraisal reform begins in the legislature and the way yeah. we fund education in Texas. Right. Yeah. And, and it's something that I will advise that I be, I'll still continue advocating because I've been doing this for since last year as well. Is just making sure that I tell you guys. 
protest your property taxes. Yes. You can do that every single year. Even the people at BCAD will still tell you that as well. Just protest it. It's very simple. There's multiple ways to do it. If you need any help, reach out to me. Or, yeah, or, so to your point, as a, as a county commissioner, um, we used to have podcasts, and we talked about how to protest your property taxes. And look, I get it. I've done it myself. Mm-hmm. It gets old having to go down there and protest every single year. But if your voice is not heard, it's a rubber stamp. Mm-hmm. So you've mm-hmm. got to go down there, and you've got to be able to protest. But I also made sure that the appraisal district was going door-to-door mm-hmm. To be able to tell people because we live in a you know in a community when i talk about the high rate of poverty may not have computer access mm-hmm. so when we talk about educating people it's not about doing what's only online it's about going door to door knocking on the door right you know robo calling people and saying hey if you've got questions if you don't know how to protest your property taxes we're here to help you be able to do that because mm-hmm. one of the most important things we can do is in the poverty stricken areas is like i said really educate people one on one right yeah yeah and help them yeah. Yeah, we need to help those who can't help themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite type of music? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I am a, I am a huge music lover, and some of it is because I think I told you so. I'm the youngest of six children, uh. so with older brothers and sisters, I listen to a lot of music from the '70s. Um, so I'm a huge Earth, Wind, and Fire fan okay. um, in '80s. I'm a huge Carol King fan. Um, I'm a huge Loggins and Messina fan. Uh, my, my kids like I'll sing to anything on the radio. Although I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to sing Baby for shark. you. Yeah, I'm not going to sing for you today because I only sing in the shower. Yeah, and in my car. Yes. Yeah. But um, whether it's big '80s music and the Cars. Um, I mean, I was obviously grew up in the '80s and you know dance that music. But I'm a huge country fan. Whether it's old country because my dad listened to Johnny Cash. Mm. Um, Charlie Pride, we grew up listening to in the house on eight track. Did you ever have poofy hair? On eight, oh my god, I had huge. Poofy hair. <laughs> yeah, Eric, it was bad. I think my hair is still recovering. <laughs> it was big, and you know, and you use a lot of mousse, and you lose a use a lot of hairspray. Um, uh. I was looking at a picture as I was going through stuff the other day. I was like, that is bad hair yeah what was the worst styling that you ever done like you're like man you look back you're like what was i thinking what yeah yeah well i mean like i said i mean you know uh at utsa um we used to go to a place called cuda rounds that used to be out there so it was all about who had the highest kind of poof i mean i probably could do it for you here but it was way up here like a flock of seagulls kind of yeah um but those days wow i mean i don't know why we thought it looked so good because it was also big makeup it was like big makeup big hair all that stuff or whatever but um my daughter looks at some of those pictures she's like mom wow like really yeah what was the first time you were like you ended up realizing oh i become my mom like to where it was like uh like oh why are the kids wearing that or why are kids doing that well you know when i knew i became my mother um is when i told my kids and she was (laughs) my brothers and sisters would laugh about this because she used to tell them and she told me this too she was like as long as you live under my roof you live by my rules (laughs) and i found myself saying that especially as my son you know i was in high school and went off to college or whatever and i'm like you know and even when he comes back from college now he comes back and i'm like look this is not a fraud house that you live in this is my house okay you can do that if you're away at college yes but 
when you come by here, these are my rules. No so, parties. <laughs> yeah, and then my mother used to always say to you, she was like, if you count the pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. And so it's that sort of fiscal conservative aspect mm. that I think I brought to the court back to you know another conversation that mm -hmm. we had about holding people accountable i don't have any problem appropriating money as long as there is a return on investment associated with that and i want people to come back whether it's the da's office whether it's the public defender's office whether it's the sheriff's office whether it's the constable's offices you need to come back to this court every three months and tell us how you're moving the needle in these areas if we're appropriating the money and if you when because the only way we get better is to look at metrics. And if we're not moving the needle, how do we pivot? How do we shift? What do we do? Um, and I think that's another thing that I called for on the court was I wanted to see data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because data is the only way that we improve things. So with UHS, do you feel that that's being properly looked at to where it's constantly being scrutinized for to make sure everything's... Well, it's, a, it's like I said, it's the biggest line item in the budget. And um, George Hernandez, who's the... You know, CEO of UHS, I think, does an amazing job. Um, but there's also an opportunity mm -hmm. for, it's another taxing district, right? Mm -hmm. It's another opportunity for a homestead exemption at that taxing entity. So when I talk about building upon tax relief incrementally, mm -hmm. yes, there's an opportunity there. So we need to be looking at other taxing districts associated with how, you know, we um, lower the tax impact on folks. Because I will tell you, I've talked to a lot of people who are like, when I look at my, you know, appraisals and what comes in or whatever, like, you know, the Bear County Hospital District is a big one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do we do to provide relief there or whatever? So, look, as long as we know their scaling impact, and I, like I said, I had conversations about the merger conversation. There's an opportunity. I think their UHS is open to it. But there again, every time I asked George Hernandez to come in front of court, he did. Yeah, especially during the pandemic when they stood up almost overnight, the uh, vaccination um, center there at you know, Wonderland of the Americas. Um, but if we're spending that kind of money regarding a line item, they should be coming back telling us what they're doing, not just during the annual budget cycle, but like I said, every three months show us mm. you know, what we're doing and yeah. what are you doing right and how can we improve things. Gotcha. Um, with, with everything that's happened in the past couple of years, what are some things that you think we learned as a community, as a government, that we can do better? Well, I think uh, what we learned was we needed to have patience. Um, and patience, uh, not just with each other, um, but also patience to be kind to each other. Um, I think there were, you know, there were emotions that were running very, very high. Um, but we were also in a place where there was no playbook mm. um, regarding what we needed to be able to do. Um, I've talked about the fact that um, I don't think we needed to be shutting down small businesses. I think that was a huge mistake. Um, but I also think that we've got to give businesses um, the individuality associated with how they want to be able to operate those businesses, um, whether you wear a mask into a place or whether you don't wear a mask into a place. Um, we've all got to be careful um, associated with that. But um, I think what we've seen are mandates don't work. Um, there's a lot of blowback associated with it. Um, but being a communications person, yes, it was all about regular communication. And I do think that is something the city and the county did very well together regarding you know, the updates that happened. And, you know, um, I think it get, gave people comfort. Um, they felt like, 
you know, the, the county and the city were being, you know, good stewards of uh, what was happening during the downturn in the economy regarding the pandemic um, and regular updates regarding the hospital situation, uh, what was going on and, you know, critical care units and um, what we did, even what we stood up over at the Coliseum um, regarding infusions uh, for folks. So I think we'll be better prepared. Um, the thing about the county is what most people don't know is the county judge and the county they are the go-to people when it comes to emergency operations. And it's not just during a pandemic. It's during a hurricane. It's during a tornado or what have you. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. we never know when another pandemic will come along. And look, at the end of the day, we're going to have to live with this kind of like we do a flu. I mean, much like uh, a flu outbreak that happened. Um, you know, we're, we're going to have to get a flu shot. We're going to have to get a COVID shot. We're going to have to get boosters and what happens there. But we got to make sure at the county that we have emergency operations in place to be able to deal with these issues. And one of the things I called for um, as a county commissioner is that during the pandemic, um, we need to have the private sector at the table, the military at the table, and government at the table, um, and probably some constituents at the table too, so that everybody's weighing into the process. Because, for instance, the zoo, um, you know, during Snowmageddon, we haven't even talked about that. Yeah, um, I was, yeah. And, yeah and CPS Energy. <laughs> um, but during Snowmageddon, um, you know, I was on some calls and I didn't feel we had enough private sector folks at the table. And so when the zoo called and said, hey, we need a generator because we have waters that are frozen, we have birds and all kinds in our aviary unit or whatever that, you know, and reptiles or whatever that won't survive. Mm -hmm. um, who did I call? I called Holtcat. Hmm. Um, because I worked with them over the years and said, hey, I need a generator. And he was like, well, tell me what the specs are. Of course, I didn't know anything about generators or specs <laughs> right. or whatever. But, you know, I talked to... What's the biggest one you yeah, got? Yeah, I mean, I, exactly. I talked to the zoo and I got the specs. And I learned a lot in the process. Um, but, you know, um, Holt made it happen. They got, uh, you know, they were able to source a generator. They got it out there. One of their folks, one of their engineers, were stringing cable. He was sending me pictures as he was stringing cable. <laughs> hey, ma'am, I just want to let you know we're out here. We're getting this done or whatever. And they got the generator up and running, and they got the water heater because they had alligators and yeah. snakes and whatever yeah. in the restaurant at the zoo because they had to keep them out of the cold. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what you also do as a small business person. You are uber resourceful. Like, you don't wait you spring in action and figure out what it needs to, what it, what it takes to get things done. So how do you get through with all the government red tape? How do you, how are you able to accomplish things with having to deal with those? Well, things? I mean, I think it's building issue. consensus. I mean, obviously having good relationships with folks or whatever, but it's also, you know, just having a mind that says, hey, we need that person at the table, we need that person at the table, we need everybody here to come up with the best solution. And, you know, we've got... You know, a great military presence here in San Antonio, which is there again is one of the my most um, what I'm proud to talk about is my dad is was a 25 year career Air Force veteran, um, you know, who taught me about, you know, about grit, not just grit, but about grace. I mean, he, you know, reads the Bible every single day. Um, but what does it take to be able to get the right thing done? And I think that's sometimes in government, we rely upon what we've always done. Um, but <laughs> Air new, Force is very much work smarter, not harder. Yes, but <laughs> but it's but it is all about like when you bring new perspective in mm -hmm. because you haven't been in office before and you worked in the private sector for as long as you have. There's that perspective that's like, what do you mean we've always done things that way? That's not the answer. The answer is how do we do things differently? And to your point, 
working smarter, not harder, and more efficiently. So, I, you know, yeah. I'm, you know, I love that part of being able to bring that to government because I think it's been sorely missing for a very, very long time. Yeah, it, with with Snowvid or Snowmageddon, there was a real lack of communication. Oh gosh, there with was. the the government in 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 general and the community and it was really sad um and i actually had people reach out because i was posting constant right. updates and hey you can get water here you know and actually some people were were i was connecting some people with getting water to some you know people and and, and food and they're like um we're not where's where's the government like yeah, nobody I was out know. there and yeah. they were relying on right. social media people right to to get that information so what is something that learning from that what is something you would like to implement forward so i think there are a lot of lessons that we learned out of snow and i tell people at neighborhood associations etc i'm not going to leave you in the cold um yeah when it comes to um cps energy i mean we have to demand accountability associated with that and we need again there are there are a few things We've got to have better representation on the board of CPS Energy, and that does not come easy. Um, you know, probably about a third of the revenue associated with CPS Energy comes from outside the city of San Antonio and from suburban cities. Yet, we share in no revenue whatsoever. And granted, I understand it's a municipally owned utility, so it's hard for the county to say, hey, we want our fair share too when the city owns it. However, if a third of that revenue is coming from outside the city of San Antonio from suburban cities and we don't have even the county judge as an ex officio mm -hmm. on the board of CPS Energy that's a little bit like taxation without representation mm -hmm. I mean not taxes but they're paying yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. into it but we don't have the appropriate representation that we need so um, but from a communication standpoint it was sorely lacking I mean I was very yeah. um, vocal yeah. on the court when I said it was like the Hunger Games yeah I mean, it was, it was like bad. it was like every man for himself or woman for himself. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. I mean, the story, and I think it led to the demise of um, yeah. my mother. Uh, she was living in a assisted living facility, which lost power, and got up in the dark to go to the bathroom and tripped and fell and broke her shoulder. Um, had to crawl out into the hallway in the hopes that somebody would find her. And when they've once found her, then the roads were iced over to get her to a hospital to get care and. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, Eric, and say it's been a very, very tough time for seniors, which is yeah. why I have a huge amount of um, heartfelt compassion uh, for the elderly associated with what happened to my own mother. Um, COVID basically cut them off yeah. from people, which we understand they couldn't be because they were the most vulnerable, but there was no communication, mm. you know, and when you're elderly, part of like what keeps you going is you know, mental and being able to be with people and with loved ones and they weren't able to do that. So you compound COVID with what happened during Snowmageddon and they lost power, they were in the cold, they were in the dark, they were suffering, by the, by they were freezing, too. they were by themselves. Yeah. Um, it's a horrible, horrible situation. Um, and so for my mom, and I'm sure maybe with some other seniors, it was kind of like, you know what, um, I just think I give up. I don't I really have the will to do this anymore because the past three years have been incredibly difficult for seniors um so aside from representation on the cps board of energy regarding the county one of the things that i want to do is that 
assisted living facilities should be on the same grid, the same power grid as hospitals. So that when we do lose power, those that are the most vulnerable, whether you're in a public housing situation or you're in an assisted living facility, should not lose power because they don't have the resources and the wherewithal to be able to help themselves. Um, and it, anyway, um, as when I'm kind of judged, that won't happen. It will <laughs> not happen again. And a lot of it there again comes with communication. And look, we were not just left in the dark, literally. We were yeah. left in the dark from a communication standpoint because nobody knew what was going on. Um, I was demanding for my constituents. I was talking to them, I was on the phone and look, I lost water and I lost power for three days. So I know what that's like. Mm -hmm. um, but I was still trying to help the zoo, constituents, whatever I had to do on the phone all the time regarding, you know, water sites that needed to be established because people did not have potable water, right. especially in the far reaching areas of the county, like Fair Oaks and what we were doing out in that area too. So um, we got to do better by people. Yeah. We got to do better. And, and the, you know, the people really came together. That was Agreed. really cool. Like, and I actually saw two opposing sides, like politically, come together, and it was really cool, like to see that. Yeah. Like, just like you know what, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, look, just, that's when we're at yeah. our best, right? Yeah. It's just, it's about us as humans. Right. It doesn't matter about party. It's about us being humane. Yeah. To each other. Right. Yeah. Um, what has been your most challenging moment where you feel that maybe you either made a mistake or you could have done better well i mean we can always do better mm -hmm. um you know as a as not only a mom <laughs> um you know as a as a sister um as an aunt um because like i said I'm the youngest of six children i have 21 nieces and nephews um you know you feel like look i w was that a teachable moment with my kids could I have done better associated with that? So yeah, there are moments, especially with children that you always think, hey, I got upset about that, but maybe <laughs> taking a step back, I right. could have done better because they're kids, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, you know, on commissioner's court, um, I was very proud of the fact that I was able to, you know, achieve bipartisan support for um, not only a tax rate decrease, but a 10-day body cam policy, turnaround policy that is one of the strictest in the states. Um, so regarding what I could have done better, um, you know, could it be regarding, um, you know, just from an outreach advocacy standpoint, making sure that we're continually reaching out to people mm -hmm. um, and listening to people? Because um, I think that's the hardest thing um, as a politician is you want to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And I mean, you wish that you could clone yourself um, to be able to do something better, um, to be able to improve things. So, you know, I think it's it's really it's a it's a matter of prioritization. Uh, I think for me, I wanted to get so much done when I came into office. I mean, I was like, let's do this, let's do that, let's do that. Blah, blah. I was like, Bing, 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 Bing. And I mean, that's just kind of my personality, but. Sometimes you have to take a step back and say, hey, what are the priorities versus ticking off everything you want to do, you know, in your first year? Can you spread that out a little bit so you've got more bandwidth to be able to be out there in the community and really listening to the things that are important? Now, the things that you do, is it is it just a list of things that 
the constituents have told you or just things that really matter? Like, yeah, I mean, you know, I think you, um, part and parcel is I'm um, going door to door. I mean, I, my victory in commissioner's court and on that seat, you know, I went through a um, very competitive primary process. There were eight people. Went into a runoff, um, ran against a 40-year career politician, which who had huge name ID, and once and it was during COVID. I mean, I could write a book on what it was like oh, to campaign during oh, COVID. It was terrible. <laughs> Tell it you. was bad. It was terrible. I mean, I really was like, <laughs> really, this is yeah, the year I decided that I was going to do yeah. this. Oh my, I'm like, just shook my head. I was like, I don't know what you're telling me, God. I don't know. I don't know. Um, you, know, you can but campaign, with, but you can't go door to door. Yeah, but with oh. that, you know what? We did continue to go door to yeah. door. Mm -hmm. We went with the mask on. We stood six feet back. Mm -hmm. People typically were comfortable talking to you as long as you were back and you had a mask on. Um, sometimes they would come outside and walk outside the door, but we took the campaign to the doorstep. Mm -hmm. That is what we will do this time, too, um, because there is no more better um learning opportunity and the humility associated with talking to people and knowing what they're going through and knowing what you need to do and what you can advocate for as right. an elected official than when you're hearing people and you're listening to people and that is something we're about to kick off we're going to do a Deberry dialogues tour yeah mm. across the county on the southwest east sides of town regarding things that are important to folks um I've had some great conversations already with small business owners you know, we're over on the deep west side and what needs to happen because when you look at economic development um, here in Bear County, mm -hmm. east side has sage um, and what's being done on East Commerce and what's being done in Dignity Hill mm -hmm. and what's happening there. Um, there's some good economic development opportunities there. Um, when you look at what's happening on the south side, um, there's been a boom regarding the south side. You know, infrastructure, what have you out there, um, more to be done there, obviously. But the north side, when you look at the Broadway Cultural Corridor, when you look at the, the amazing amount of growth associating with the northern end of the county, um, there is very robust economic development there. The one side of town that really has not benefited is the west side of San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is because the jail is there on the west side of San Antonio. Um, and so I've had conversations with folks about apparently when Commissioner Elizondo was in office he had a plan or he was working on a plan to maybe fund a new jail um and so i think that's something we have to look at because i think it hampers economic development over on the west side of town um that's a big footprint right mm -hmm. so if you could move the jail build a new jail somewhere else even though expensive we'd have to take a very close look at that obviously i'm not advocating necessarily for that until i know what the cost is associated with that but the opportunity associated with being able to raise the old jail it's a huge footprint for economic development what that means for the west side of town so that way every side of the county and the city is prospering um and you know there's a great organization on the west side prosper west or whatever that's doing great things there too but um we've got to be looking at, at everything through not just a county-wide filter from mm. an economic development standpoint but a regionalization filter associated yeah. with economic development you think with the possible decriminalization of marijuana which just passed the house of representatives going to the Senate. Do you think that'll bring any change to the amount of people that are in in Bear County Jail? Like, do you think that'll possibly make it to where we might not have such a big footprint? Yeah, I think I certainly think there will be some alleviation. I mean, we've got to look at, you know, how we look. I mean, we have to look at how we tackle the homeless problem. Yeah. Yeah, here in San Antonio and Bear County. And there again, that's not just a downtown problem. No. I mean, I hear about it in District 8, I hear about it in District 9, I hear about it in District 10. 
you know, which incorporates eight, nine, and 10 mm -hmm. are all of precinct three. Mm -hmm. um, there's a homeless problem there. So, you know, we all need to come together and figure out what is the strategy. I think tactically, we've tried to throw money at the problem and we've had tactical solutions associated with the homeless. But as you talk to somebody like Gavin Rogers, mm -hmm. um, who helps to house the homeless, who told me when I was down there, when we had a cold snap here, um, found a homeless veteran on the street that was suffering from cancer, mm. who had been released from the hospital out onto the street knowing he had cancer. This man was skin and bones. That cannot continue to happen. I mean, God bless Ka Gavin. He took this man into his house until he could find health care for him. But mm. if we have hospitals that are releasing folks like that, and a veteran no less, look, yeah. it shouldn't happen to any person. Right. But it certainly shouldn't be happening to our veterans. We have a lot of PTSD issues regarding the homeless and what are we doing yeah. there. But I don't think that we have systematically tackled uh, the homelessness issue that we have in this county in a holistic way. And that is, there again, bringing together government, bringing together the business community, bringing together the faith-based community, mm -hmm. because we have a gem, obviously, in Haven for Hope, mm -hmm. and they do a great job. However, not all of the homeless want to go into Haven no. for Hope, because you have to abide by the rules when you go into Haven for Hope, and many of them don't want to. So what are we going to do about those that will not and absolutely refuse to go into Haven for Hope who have synthetic marijuana drug problems, who have PTSD issues, what are we doing to tackle that issue? Yeah, so. that, that's it's a real big problem. And, and a lot of people don't want to go to Haven for Hope for a lot of reasons, And but it's just, it's just such a delicate issue. And we don't want San Antonio to become Los Angeles, no. right? That's, that's we've no. seen how everything's getting over there. It's really bad, yeah. you know? And, um, you yeah, know, and as a... You know, as a um, obviously, it's been a long time since a female has been in power as county judge. It's been a very long time since there has been a Republican um, as a Bear County judge. Um, so, you know, when I jumped into the race, obviously there was um, um, wasn't a, a huge Republican presence, obviously, in the judges' race. Um, and so I got in because I was I said, you know, hey, look, there needs to be a robust dialogue on both sides of the aisle you know, associated with what we need to do and how we need to move the county forward. You know, being born and raised in San Antonio, I feel like my DNA is here. Um, <laughs> I just, I want my kids to be able to come back. Yeah, Maddie and Scott to come back to San Antonio and find, you know, good paying jobs and not feel like they've got to go elsewhere. Um, you know, and, you know, my hope is they're, they're as committed as I am, you know, mm -hmm. to the nonprofit community and really making our community better. But, you know, it's also about, even as a Republican judge, um, even though I'm outnumbered on the court, because you'll have, you know, you'll have, a, hopefully, a you'll have a Republican in the precinct, but it still means that you'll have two Republicans, you'll be outnumbered. What I will tell you is that I'm never going to walk off the dais. I'm never going to flee somewhere else because times get hard. I'm going to stand my ground, and I'm going to fight the good fight. Because we saw what happened in the legislature, right? Mm. We had folks that, understandably, it was difficult that fled on a private jet and went elsewhere um, and still collected a per diem, meaning they got paid to go somewhere else and they weren't doing their job. I'm never going to do that, no matter how outnumbered I am or how difficult times get. Constituents elect you to fight the good fight, to stand your ground and do it no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the obstacles. So that's what folks can count on when I'm Bear County Judge. All right. Um, what is your favorite... Uh, shop to shop at 
<laughs> lots, lots of favorite shops. To shop at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I like to support local for sure. So okay. you know, there's some good places here in town that are locally owned that are boutique based. Um, in fact, I have. Um, um, you could do a couple. You could do. That. Yeah, do that. yeah. Um, there's, you know, from a even for look, I'm a huge supporter of what I would consider the cultural arts here in San Antonio, the creative class, because mm -hmm. I, what I did for a living for a long time or whatever was really about creative writing and what that looks like. So, you know, whether it's art, whether it's you know clothes, whether it's shoes um, or services, uh, the creative class needs to be supported. So. Um, I have a original. I have a Cruz Ortiz piece, you know, of art that's in my house that was down at Blue Star uh, years and years ago. When Cruz, nobody even knew who Cruz Ortiz was, mm -hmm. and I'm, I've had that conversation with him about that. He still remembers um, what that piece looks like. So, mm -hmm. um, but um, shoes, um, Lily shoes that are down in, um, <laughs> yeah, the Pearl or whatever. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I also have. Um, you know, a Fiesta crown of flowers uh, that um, a local artisan produced that I got when I was down at um, Chanclas y Cervezas uh, oh, okay. last year um, down at Brooks. So I bought that. Did you, did you throw a chancla? Yeah. <laughs> I did, did throw yeah. a chancla, yes. What, was, what did you get? What yeah. did you get? What was your score? <laughs> I think I got 20 points. Yeah. Hey, that's good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but let me just tell you, it was very cathartic from a stress standpoint to be able to throw your chancla. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I'm about that all day long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and okay, so there's there's this question that that I've hear from it's it's a it's a small group, but there's the the lowrider community or the um, the car groups in in the in the in the city that seem to be getting a lot of um, flack from from government for for them not you know. They're being singled out. So, is there something that you think you can look at from that standpoint to kind of see where there's kind of mutual respect from there? Because it seems like they're getting hit really hard for actions of other people that maybe you know they're really directly linked to negativity negativity from the government. Yeah, I mean, sometimes things are um, they're complicated conversations, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it is about the kind of press that's received on a topic, um, the optics associated with it. Um, and so you can't judge a book by its cover. And sometimes you can't believe necessarily everything you hear. So, but it's about sitting down with that community um, and talking about how do we compromise? How do we get ahead of the curve regarding what you want to accomplish and what is your mission? Mm -hmm. And how do we help you do that yeah. um, from a government standpoint rather than throwing up roadblocks and impediments right. associated with it? Because I think that's kind of the knee-jerk reaction, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Is, oh, it's bad. Yeah, 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 We're hearing a lot of complaints or whatever, but there's a mission at right. the end of the day. So how do we dig in, um, which I think I've, you know, had a, um, a history really, even uh, during my tenure on commissioner's court of finding problems or, or, or looking at what are the issues or what is the problematic um, circumstance associated with the issue, but how do we create a win-win associated yeah. with it? Um, Cause it's not necessarily about you're the bad guy. I'm the good guy. Yeah. It's about how do we work together to accomplish the mission that you're trying to advocate for? Yeah. And a lot of these people, they have some great missions. I, I've spoken to them personally. Um, I was just like, wow, like you, you wouldn't think of what they're trying to do. And it's like, okay. And it's just that message doesn't get conveyed a lot to, to whoever's looking at them like, oh, it's negative. Yeah. You know, so um, what are some last things that you would like to say uh, regarding your campaign and, and your, some of the last words? 
Well, I mean, we're gonna we talked about a lot of them. I mean, we're gonna focus on a number of things. Um, we're gonna focus on uh, property taxes and appraisal reform. Um, I campaigned on that as a county commissioner. Um, we'll continue to advocate for that. But like I said, it's not just about what we're doing at the local level. We've got to make sure the legislature hears loudly and clearly. We've got to figure out a way to advocate for and really bring about solutions to really um, bring about true property tax relief and appraisal reform and it starts um, at the ledge but there are definitely things that we can do here um, secondly talked about it again domestic violence uh, it is a scourge on this community and we've got to do whatever we can to appropriate resources and I will use the office as a bully pulpit to make sure that we're advocating for those that can't advocate for themselves in fact one of my favorite shows on Netflix if you haven't seen it watch it it's called made m-a-i-d okay. so it's with um, Andy McDowell and her daughter actually plays the lead character. Um, and I think what's so compelling about Mate is it shows how incredibly difficult it is for the working poor mm -hmm. who really want to work and bring themselves out of poverty and how difficult it is because of government bureaucracy uh, relative to bringing themselves up. And yeah. Yeah. I credit my daughter who watched the show and said, Mom, you need to watch this. Um, and it... It can be depressing and mm -hmm. it can be disturbing because it's for those folks that really were trying, I mean, desperately trying with a child to better their circumstances, get themselves out of a toxic environment, find a job, bring themselves up, find daycare, find transportation, all of it, bring themselves up. Um, it's one step forward, two steps back mm -hmm. many times. Yeah. And it's so hard and it becomes because of that, it becomes a lot easier to go back to a toxic situation versus trying to fight for yourself because yeah. the government does not make it easy. Mm. We got to do better by women and children that are living in domestic violence situations and especially for those women who want to better themselves and are trying to bring themselves out of that situation. And then thirdly, you know, what are we doing about public health? We've talked about that um, regarding really scaling impact here. Because that's, again, that's how we bring ourselves up out of poverty. Um, and then what are we doing at CPS Energy? Um, because that impacts greatly economic development here, not just in our city, but our county. But um, at the end of the day, what I thought I brought to Commissioner's Court was um, bold, brave, and big ideas. And I think, you know, that's the tagline for the campaign. <laughs> I am bold, I am brave, and I am better for bear. So nice. with that, <laughs> vote Trish DeBerry for Bear County Judge. <laughs> and how can people get a hold of you? Uh, they can go to the website. They can go to trishforjudge.com. Yeah. Um, you know, shoot, you can call me if you want to. So, yeah. Okay. I'm always, I feel like my, um, I've always been somebody who's hugely accessible to people. I don't, you know, put somebody up in front of me. Like, I want to have the conversation. So, gotcha. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Trish. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, Eric. This has been is fun. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. And uh, just and I'm know. I'm glad we picked the right color. I know, right? Yeah. It's like, hey. <laughs> and again, don't mess with her. She knows how to throw a chancla. Okay? So. No. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for watching. And please stay tuned. For more interviews. Please engage in your local politics, not just the national politics. Please engage. You need to learn who these people are. Ask questions. Be informed. And make the best decision. Thank you, guys.